Hi, welcome to episode 542 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and this podcast is like an Access Hollywood bus, and you guys are like my Billy Bush. I can tell you all my secrets. So let's pop some Tic Tacs and let's grab this issue of the Fantastic Four by the... Oh, in every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, starting with issue one and going all the way to issue 645. Today, it's Fantastic Four 542 from March 2007. What the hell? That's like four months since the last issue. We used to go to hyperspace just for donuts. By the new regular writer, Dwayne McDuffie, and the same old penciler, Mike McCone. And this is a huge issue for me, a huge episode. This is the last issue of the Fantastic Four that I have never read. That's an odd turn of phrase. So after, after doing this episode, I will have read every single issue of the Fantastic Four, all 645 of them. Or however many they really are. I don't think they're correct with their numbering. I still think at some point the episode number and the issue number will stop being the same. But for now, this is the last new issue of the Fantastic Four I will ever read in my life. Okay, I don't really believe that. I'm sure the FF will return someday, but I would kind of like to make it to the end before they relaunch the FF again. The issue starts at a coffee shop in Brooklyn, and Johnny's ordering some coffee. And he's got his blonde hair again. I guess he's already abandoned that disguise he had a couple issues back. Johnny's getting kind of impatient, waiting for his order, but the woman at the counter is kind of attractive, so he's painfully flirting with her. When he says he doesn't mind waiting, she replies that she doesn't mind him waiting either. When he finally gets his coffee, she warns him that it's hot. He says, that's not a problem. Does she not recognize him as a famous superhero? Of course she doesn't. He's wearing the perfect disguise. A pair of glasses. Some sunglasses. He takes his coffee and he heads over to the table where he joins Reed Richards who wants to know what Johnny want, why Johnny wanted to meet him. Reed asks Johnny why he's wearing glasses and he says it's a great disguise. Better than that fishing hat that Reed is wearing. Reed says that fishing hat is not a disguise. He just likes the hat. Of course, yeah, he loves fishing hats. In all these 542 issues, it's just a non-stop parade of wonderful fishing hats. Johnny says, Look at us. Half of the Fantastic Four, and we're in a coffee shop. We used to go to hyperspace just for donuts. You know, I've read every single issue of the Fantastic Four, I can say that now, and I don't recall them ever going to hyperspace for donuts. Reed starts to get up, saying, I'm going now. And Johnny says, Ben's gone. Sue's gone. Tell me why I shouldn't go. Wait a minute. Hold on. When Sue left, she wrote that note saying that she was leaving and Johnny was going with her. Isn't he already considered gone? Reed replies, Stop talking about Sue. If I knew for a fact that you were helping her, I'd have to... She left a note back in Civil War 4. The note specifically said that she and Johnny were leaving to join the underground. What the hell is going on with Reed? He read the note, didn't he? Did Dwayne McDuffie not read Civil War? If so, he's the luckiest man alive. Uh, I'm not going to finish that statement. Johnny's like, or what? You're going to send Thor after me? 
Reed says that stuff with Thor, the Thor clone, was a huge mistake. Johnny says it seems that Reed has been making a lot of mistakes lately, and Reed replies that he doesn't think so. I'm sure if She-Hulk were there, she would say that Reed isn't making a lot of mistakes. He's just being written badly. Johnny points out that Sue, Ben, and himself are three people who have literally followed Reed into hell, but won't follow him now. Reed goes on to explain that the Registration Act is the law, and they, have to, and they have to follow the law. Johnny points out that Reed doesn't even follow the laws of physics, and he reminds Reed that they were breaking the law when they stole that rocket ship back in issue one. Reed goes into some nonsense about how normal people are fearing superheroes, and the law is necessary. Reed tells Johnny to come on, they have an errand to run. And Johnny says, okay, but afterward, I have to help the resistance shut you down. So elsewhere, at the not-so-secret lair of the Mad Thinker, Reed stretches into the room, and the Mad Thinker asks, How did you find me? And Reed is like, Because I'm so smart. And Mad Thinker is like, Oh, well, I'm also smart. So smart. He tries to shoot Reed, but with Reed's stretchy body, the bullets don't do much good. Mad Thinker tries to run, but Johnny pops up and says, Reed wants to talk. I want to set you on fire. It's up to you. If it were up to me, I'd say set that bastard on fire. The Mad Thinker asks what Reed wants. He has no outstanding warrants. You know, in my opinion, there's only one outstanding warrant. 1980s hair metal band warrant. So outstanding. Cherry Pie is a classic. Reed says he thinks that uh, he can connect Mad Thinker to that stuff with Puppet Master a couple issues back. Well, what can I do for you, Dr. Richards? Mad Thinker asks. So later, they're back at the Baxter building, Reed, Johnny, and the Mad Thinker, and Reed seems to be in the middle of some story. He's saying, It began when I was 12 years old, but he's interrupted. I was curious where the story was going. There are these guys from Damage Control there, a group that fixes up damage, damage caused by superhero battles. I think crossover time is their busiest time of year, and he's giving Reed an, an estimate on repairs and says it'll take three days. The guy gets hit on the head with a block. They look up, and Valeria and Franklin are tossing toy blocks down through the hole in the, ro in the roof onto the people below. Franklin tells his sister to say, Fire in the hole! And she says, Fire in the hole! So at this point, she's still a normal girl, a normal little kid. But she's getting pretty big pretty quickly. She's growing a lot faster than Franklin did. Soon she'll be talking in complicated sentences, sounding just like her father. Reed goes upstairs and says, Didn't I tell both of you to stay away from the holes? Boy, if I had a dollar for every time my dad told me that. He gives them a hug and tells them he's got work to do, and he leads the mad thinker off to his office. Reed has an office? Who knew? We've seen his labs before. Labs, labs everywhere, labs. I don't recall an office. Meanwhile, back in Paris, McDuffie has picked up where we left Ben off last issue, hanging out with the French superhero team. And they're in these underground catacombs under Paris, trying to find a secret Hydra base. Ben wonders if all the supervillains in Paris live underground. Ben and the, and the lady, Anais, get surrounded by agents of Hydra, but they're taken out pretty quickly. 20 minutes later, Aeneas puts her arms around Ben and tells him that, he's a, that she's had a wonderful time. But she adds, The man I've come to know who risks his life for strangers, surely he cannot abandon his friends. 
Hint, hint. Go back to New York. Oh, and I'd hardly call fighting these Hydra agents or that Mole Man knockoff last issue Ben risking his life. Ben's a bit uncomfortable having this attractive woman getting all flirty with him. And he says, Uh, I'm kind of seeing somebody. He is? I don't think so. He and Alicia have not been a couple in a very long time, but it makes a good excuse to get out of this. She gives him a kiss on the lips, or near his mouth where his lips would be if he, if he had any. Just then, Johnny arrives in the Fantastic car. He's come by to see what Ben is up to. They only talk for a minute, and Johnny leaves, telling Ben he ought to come home and join them, and he leaves part of the Fantastic car behind, which sure beats Flying Coach. So back in Reed's office, it's very sparse. There's a couple of chairs, but for the most part, it's empty. Only, Reed has written equations all over the walls, and the ceiling, and the floors. It's like, could he be any more of a lunatic? Hasn't he ever heard of a notebook? They're like equations on social dynamics, and he wants the mad thinker to check them out and see what he thinks. Reed mentions that he read the novel Foundation by Isaac Asimov when he was 12 years old. That story was a bit of a letdown. That got Reed interested in the field of psychohistory, a fictional branch of science that uses equations to predict future trends by mathematically modeling history. And he liked it so much, he tried to make psychohistory real. And so using these equations, Reed figured he better support the Superhero Registration Act. Oh, I thought he was supporting it because he had an uncle who was blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Kami witch hunts! But now, here's another reason for Reed acting like a dick. A math equation told him so. Well, that's a stretch, even for a guy who stretches. But, oh well. McDuffie's stuck trying to redeem Reed, and I guess that's the best he can come up with. By running the numbers, Reed came up with 20, 31 choices, each one more horrible than the last. Support for the Superhero Registration Act was the best choice. Mad Thinker looks over the equations and agrees that Reed did pick the best choice. Mad Thinker's in a weird pose with his arms wrapped around his body like someone who's really sad or shy or I don't know. And he gives a speech about how brilliant and brave Tony Stark is and how Reed understood the big picture even while blindly walking further down the path of evil. He finishes by saying, You can show yourself now, Mrs. Richards. Sue turns visible. She's been there the entire time, eavesdropping. She says, So, it's not the law, or your poor, persecuted uncle. She wants to know why he lied to her, and he says he was trying to protect her. Protect her? If this equation told him to act like an asshole, why not tell his wife? What is he protecting her from? But she's not buying it. She says she's going back to Team Cap. And, they're, and they've beaten the odds before. They'll beat them again. Reed says to himself, No, don't you see? You're not. And that is the end of FF5542. Taking us to... Hi, welcome to episode... 542 of the Fantastic Forecast, Part 2. Today it's Civil War, number 6, from December 2006. Civil War, Part 6, by Mark Millar and Steve McNiven. 
So Hank Pym and Maria Hill are at S.H.I.E.L.D. base in Arizona, and they're overseeing a new group of superheroes as part of their attempt to put a team in every area of the country. Now that's the first common sense idea I've heard so far from these registration people. Why have all the teams in New York? That makes no sense. If I were a supervillain, I would leave New York alone and go attack Miami or Seattle or some other big city. They're giving this, the new so-called heroes names like Hermes, Poseidon, Aphrodite, and even Hercules. It's not like the real Hercules has a trademark on that. So back at, Baxter, at the Baxter building, Reed is hard at work, working on the brain of the Thor clone. Iron Man calls up Reed and tells him they have good news. Crime is down, way down, to its lowest numbers since Eisenhower was president. You know, considering how bad crime was in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, that's not saying much. They also discuss some kind of big finale, and President Bush has assured Reed that they can give immunity to 12 people, but the rest will face prosecution. Reed wants to make sure that Johnny and Sue aren't sent to prison. But 12 immunities? Isn't that pretty much the size of Captain America's entire group? Meanwhile, the Punisher is wearing some kind of stealth suit, and he's secretly entering FF headquarters, making his way up the insides of the Baxter building. He's inside one of those large air ducts, you know, the ones that seem very popular in movies, TV shows, and comics. He's on the radio to Captain America and giving him an update on his progress. He reaches the controls for the Negative Zone containment area, and the Punisher says he's going to need some more manpower to help spring the good guys from the Negative Zone prison there at the Baxter building. Meanwhile, in Atlantis, Sue has arrived. How she got there without any of Reed's equipment, I don't know, but she's there asking Namor for help. He's like, Your Majesty, that is the correct term when addressing a foreign dignitary, Mrs. Richards. Well, he's awfully cool to her. She split up with Reed. Now would be the perfect time for Namor to pop a couple of Tic Tacs and put the moves on her. Take her to his boudoir. Get her in his bed. Does he have a bed? Can you even sleep in a bed underwater? You just kind of like float away in the middle of the night. You'd have to strap yourself down like an astronaut in space. Does he have a water bed? I bet he does have a water bed. So tacky. Have you ever made out with anybody on a water bed? It is the worst. So Sue wants Neymar to help with the Civil War, but he has no interest in, the in their power struggle. He says he's still broken up over the death of his cousin, Neymarita. But she's like, Cap is one of your oldest friends. And he's like, maybe Captain America should have come instead. He sees right through Sue. You know, Literally, not literally, but, you know, figuratively. He knows that she's trying to take advantage of their unique relationship. And that relationship is cock-teaser and cock-teasee. She says, we don't have a relationship. And he says, I can feel your heartbeat through the water, Mrs. Richards. And it tells a, and it tells a very different story from the lies upon your lips. And he touches her breathing mask. So back at the secret headquarters of Captain America and the secret Avengers, Spider-Man is back on his feet after recovering from that jack-o'-lantern bomb last issue. The only bomb he won't recover from is this big Civil War bomb. So Captain America is going over the plans obtained by the Punisher for the Negative Zone prison, and they're going to raid one of the entry points on Rikers Island that night. Diamondback, Cap's special uh, off-and-on lady friend, introduces a couple of supervillains who want to help. But the Punisher 
immediately shoots them all to death. Like a cop shooting an unarmed black dude. Punisher's like, they're probably up to no good anyway. I might as well shoot them. Cap immediately socks the Punisher in the face and calls him a murderous piece of trash. Punisher's like, they were the bad guys. Thieves and killers. Shut up, Cap says as he proceeds to pummel the Punisher, who refuses to fight back. So Cap kicks him out of their little clubhouse. Meanwhile, at the North Pole, Doctor Strange is hiding out. And guess what? No Fortress of Solitude. He's just sitting out there in the snow, sitting on the ground, in the middle of this big star on the ground. Looks like some kind of Satan-worshipping symbol. Or maybe he's just a Dallas Cowboy fan. Cloak is visiting Doctor Strange and he asks why the Doctor doesn't just end the Civil War with his powers. Doctor Strange replies, That is why I must remain above the fray! There is no right or wrong in this, in this debate! No right or wrong? Has he not been reading Civil War? Like I have? He says it's not his place to influence the evolution of the superhuman role. Oh, and on the next page, I realize that's not Cloak from Cloak and Dagger. That's Uatu the Watcher in a black robe. Whoops. I guess I'll leave that mistake in because, because if it wasn't for the dialogue, I would not have realized that was the Watcher. With McNiven's art and the coloring, it's hard to tell. In the morning at Rikers Island Penitentiary, Team Cap is snuck in with the help of Sue's invisibility. Spider-Man's Spider-Sense goes off just as Team Iron Man pops up saying that Cap has just walked into a trap. Iron Man, for some reason, reveals they have a mole on Cap's team. Which is kind of stupid because when you have a mole on the other side, you're not supposed to tell the other team. But Cap admits, admits that he knows who the mole is. It's Tigra. Tiger's like, well, well, what? How does he know that? Because he has a mole on Team Iron Man. And that mole is Yellow Jacket Hank Pym. And then Hank Pym reveals that he's not Hank Pym. He's a shapeshifter, the Young Avenger, the Hulkling. The Wasp is probably like, well, that explains why he didn't want to have sex last night. Reed is freaked out because Hank Pym had complete access to their systems, everything. Cap says that evens the odds. So the two sides face off for one final battle, with Cap saying, Now close your eyes, gentlemen. This might hurt. And that is the end of issue six, bringing us to... Hi, it's episode uh, 542, part three of the Fantastic Forecast. It's Civil War number seven from January 2007. Civil War Part 7 by Mark Millar and Steve McNiven. And so the two sides are about to fight. And somehow they've crossed over through the doorway to the Negative Zone prison where the fight's going to take place. Of course it says they're in the Negative Zone, but really, they're just in a room. Cap shouts out, Avenger is a symbol! And someone on Team Iron Man... I can't recognize half the characters on Team Iron Man. He says that he thought that they were the Avengers. Meanwhile, some agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are watching the Negative Zone prison on some monitors, and they're trying to lock the door. But Dagger and Black Panther sneak up behind the agents, and Dagger knocks them out, and the Panther takes over the controls. Back inside, Spider-Man is taking on Lady Deathstrike and Venom. Yet, you know, Doctor Strange said there was no right or wrong in the Civil War. But on one side, 
They have Venom and Lady Deathstrike, so I don't know about that. But the other agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are working on the door on another system, and uh, it's about to close. Dagger calls Cloak and tells him to teleport everyone out of the room. He says there's too many people, but he spreads out his cloak. He swallows everybody up. He teleports out and appears in the sky near the Baxter building and dumps everyone out. The people who don't fly are kind of screwed. Many taxi cabs are destroyed in the process. Too bad Ben Grimm isn't there to enjoy the fun. The police are trying to keep civilians back, and Spider-Man swings in and he kicks Mr. Fantastic. Iron Man wants to find Captain America. He's too dangerous to be out there unchecked, he says. But Lady Deathstrike and Venom, she's a real nasty woman, and he's a bad hombre. They found Captain America, and they're all attacking him. For a second, I think I see Moon Knight, but no, it's Taskmaster. And suddenly, help arrives, Prince Namor, and an army of Atlanteans show up, and they join the fray. And She-Hulk realizes that their side is screwed. And then a bunch of other people show up for Team Iron Man, including Thor. Or, it's still the, the Thor clone. And Captain Marvel. You know, the dead one. Why is he here? I didn't realize he came back from the dead. It certainly wasn't by popular demand. And soon, Captain America faces off against Iron Man. But the Vision steps in and he sticks his arm in Iron Man, through his chest, and disrupts his armor. And then Captain America smacks Iron Man, and Hercules smacks down Thor... And then, a whole city bus is pushed down the street, knocking over a bunch of people on Team Iron Man. And the person pushing the bus is Ben Grimm, the Thing. I guess he heard that this would be a great opportunity to destroy some city buses and cabs. He had to come back from France. He would never miss this. Taskmaster, Taskmaster, Bassmaster tries to shoot Sue, but Reed steps in and zap. He takes a shot in the back. Sue takes out her revenge on Taskmaster by smashing him into the ground with a big force field. Hercules is pissed at the fake Thor and finally demolishes the Thor robot. The Thorbot, whatever it is. Cap, meanwhile, is being beating the shit out of Iron Man, cracking his armor, while Cap gets mobbed by a group of civilians. At this point, Cap comes to a realization. He looks around at all the devastation in the city and he says... Oh my god, we're not fighting for the people anymore. Look at us, we're just fighting. Well, duh, since issue one, that's all you've been doing is fighting. Not fighting for the people. That's why this damn comic book sucks so hard. Johnny Storm reminds Cap that if he surrenders, they'll throw his ass in jail. And Spider-Man points out, they're winning. But Cap pulls off his mask and says, they won't be arresting Captain America they'll be arresting Steve Rogers. And despite the pleas from his teammates, Cap surrenders to the authorities. Should he have just done that in the first place? Hire some good lawyers, go in front of a jury, and plead his case? After they take, uh, after they take Steve away, for some reason, they show the Punisher walk over and pick up Captain America's mask. Are they trying to tease us that the Punisher might become the new Captain America? That would be interesting even though they kind of did that in the 1980s with the USA agent. So we're getting close to the end, which brings us to a montage accompanied by a letter written by Reed Richards to his estranged wife. In the letter, we learn that two weeks have gone by. Sue has accepted one of those superhero amnesties given out. 
She joined a group of other heroes to help clean up the city. Reed looked on and thought she was hot. The initiative was launched, led by Iron Man, with a superhero team in every state. Now really? One team in every state? You need one team in Rhode Island? A whole team for Rhode Island? Can't Rhode Island and Connecticut share a superhero team? Vermont needs its own superhero team? The county I live in has more people than Vermont. Can't they share a team with New Hampshire? And what about Washington, D.C.? Do they get a team? Or does the Maryland team or the Virginia team look out for them? We get a look at uh, the Texas team. Somehow, Yellow Jacket ended up on that team. Along with six Lamos, I recognize uh, Armadillo, who appeared in a couple of Captain America issues back in the 1980s. And there's our good friend, Texas Twister, who first appeared back in Fantastic Four, issue 177, in 1976. Oh, it's his, it's his uh, 40th anniversary, and no one seems to be making much of a big deal about it. What's up with that? So anyway, you got this lame team, and you would think the president would have gotten a much better team to protect his home state than this. We see that the negative zone prison opened as planned, with Reed bragging that it was met with wide acclaim by the public. We learn that some heroes have moved to Canada to pursue what Reed calls an old school career. And two of those heroes are Beta Ray Bill. Yes, Beta Ray Bill. Isn't he a space alien? Like, why is he moving to Canada? Can't he just, like, uh, go back to outer space? Go to another planet? And then another character who moved to Canada is the U.S. agent, which is crazy. If there's a single character in the entire Marvel Universe who would want to work, who would want to be a lackey for the U.S. government, and specifically for the government of Bush Cheney, it would be the U.S. agent. The fact that he moved to Canada just blows my mind. Mind blown. And at the headquarters of the Secret Avengers, Power Man admires the new outfit Spider-Man is wearing. It's his old black suit. I love the old black suit. Civil War would be worth it if it left Spider-Man with a black suit. And we see Steve Rogers in jail. And on the cover of Time Magazine, Hank Pym has been named Man of the Year for his scientific work. I guess that's for discovering the link between oral sex and mouth cancer. And we learn that Tony Stark has been given a new job by the president. Let me guess. He's the secretary of dudes in bad outfits. And Reed ends his letter saying that the thing he wants most is for Sue to come back to him. And as the montage ends, we see that Sue has come back to him. Why? Nothing has changed. I guess Team Captain America can't go on without Captain America. No one wants to be called Team Power Man. So the issue ends back on the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, where Tony Stark is beginning his new job as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. So what happened to Nick Fury anyway? He's mentioned, but never does appear in the series. How strange. They say he's among the missing. And once again, Tony is talking to that lady whose son was killed back in issue one. Why is she on the helicarrier? And she's impressed by everything Tony has, has done with the initiative and the civil war and everything. Well, it sounds like now that the initiative is in place, there are more superhero teams than ever before. At least 50. I'm not sure why this makes her happy. I thought her whole thing was that she didn't like superheroes. She says to Tony Stark, 
You've given us something to believe in, again. And he replies, The best is yet to come, sweetheart. No, no it's not. The best is not yet to come. So the issue ends, and frankly, all the events that happen, everything that Tony Stark did, the Registration Act, the Civil War, I think it was all done to impress the angry mother and get in her pants. So that's the end of the Civil War, my least favorite comic book ever. It's so bad. In such an awful way, it does so much damage to the Marvel Universe. I think of another bad crossover series, Secret Wars 2. I love Secret Wars 2. I've read it so many times, and I love reading it, but it is terrible. It's atrocious. Bad art, bad writing, the characters are handled badly, bad plot. It is terrible. But at least when Civil, when Secret Wars 2 was over, the Marvel Universe was the same. But at the end of, end of Civil War, the Marvel Universe has changed dramatically. And not for the better, in my opinion. If I could pick a jump-the-shark moment for the Marvel Universe, Civil War would be it. The characters of Tony Stark and Reed Richards were really dragged to the mud to make this series work. And Spider-Man was flat-out ruined forever, requiring a full-on reboot six months later to get him out of the terrible place that Civil War put him in. Civil War the comic is joyless and glum. It's a chore to read. I can't think of a single good thing to say about it. Well, maybe except for one thing. I really like the Civil War Captain America uh, movie that was based on this. How did such a good movie get made out of something so awful? Maybe that's what the makers of Marvel movies should do in the future. Take bad comic book stories and make them better. Instead of taking good comic book stories and making them worse. Like Dark Phoenix Saga, The Death of Gwen Stacy, and Galactus Trilogy. Those were all turned into shitty movies. The Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, ain't exactly a comic book masterpiece and they're turning that into a movie, so maybe that's a good thing. And finally, one more thing to say about Civil War. Where the hell is Moon Knight? Why did they not use Moon Knight? They crammed every character imaginable into the series, but they couldn't find room for Moon Knight? They got Texas Twister for crying out loud, but not Moon Knight? They got the, the Bass, Bass Master, or Taskmaster, but not Moon Knight? Maybe that's what the series was missing. Moon Knight. You know what? I'm going to Google this. Where was Moon Knight during Civil War? And let's see what comes up. And wow, Moon Knight actually had his own series in 2006. Holy crap! He was an active character with his own series during Civil War and they still didn't include Moon Knight. Amazing. Turns out in issue 8 of Moon Knight, Captain America turned up asking Moon Knight to get involved. And Moon Knight was like, nope. And that's it. I wonder, was it a case where Moon Knight writer Charlie Houston had enough pull to keep his character out of Civil War? Or did Civil War writer Mark Millar just not want to use Moon Knight? I'm guessing it's the latter, not the former. I really should have done a Moon Knight podcast instead. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott at podcastff, and you can download other episodes of iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is finally over. This is the first day of the future.